well, well, well. <laughs> Here it is, man. We're back uh, for another episode. And I, I took a shower, man. I took a shower to prep for this episode. Because you know what I do every day, Samir? What's that? I bathe every day. That's you know? great. Uh, you know, I guess I'm, as a micro celebrity, I guess that's rare in the United States. <laughs> Uh, based on based on uh, social media, celebs aren't bathing, and they're proud of it. Though they can't get enough, they're like, not only do I not bathe, but also I don't bathe my children. Yeah, you know? stinky households, stinky, uh, wealthy, uh, and you know I don't think it's all celebrities, um, but I'm gonna say it's the celebrities that come from the cultural background of people that wear shorts in the winter. Also, don't bathe their children when they become wealthy. <laughs> That's like a, a fat New England guy thing too. <laughs> so fat New Englanders and Jake Gyllenhaal don't bathe themselves or their children, yeah. right? Yeah, they yeah. have a lot in common. Yeah, it's so, like that predator meme. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal and fat New Englander guys. Yeah, don't bathe. It, they, they wear shorts in the summer. The, it would be the Twitter uh, with the two handshake. The handshake. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, and uh, that you know what? What's up with that? We got it. Cleanliness is so important, uh, and I just feel like there's. Uh, I was reading Octavia Butler's uh, Parable of the Sower, and I'm just starting it. And in it, uh, they live in a world that's very much like ours, but there's water scarcity. So there's water wars. All water is private, and. Um, the middle, upper middle class children and the children in the affluent enclaves, they don't bathe. Even though they have access to water, they like being stinky because everyone outside is stinky. And so being stinky is cool. And what? if you're, if you look too clean, everyone beats you up because they think you're affluent. Wow. So that is a signifier of sort of being down, being cool, being part of the people if you're stinky in Parable of the Sower. But I think in the U.S., being a, a little stinky person is, uh, is like an upper-middle-class white celebrity thing. Yeah, I guess so, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like being proud to be stinky. Sure. It's like going to, back to caveman roots. Yeah. <laughs> well, also Tough Mudders is a thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. uh, who does tough mutters? Every picture I see of people in tough mutters is uh, a stinker. Yeah, yeah, tough mutters. Oh, there's that uh, group of people who wear those uh, shoes that have the uh, the toe fingers in them. And those aren't even the worst, though. I hear you, but the worst is people that wear sneakers, low top sneakers with no socks. Oh, in the summertime? Yeah. Stinking it up. Gross. <laughs> so gross. Sure. Well, who, what, what demographic do you see barefoot after midnight at Penn Station eating hamburgers from McDonald's? Gross people. And I'm not talking about the houseless. Yeah. You're talking about people who choose to not wear shoes there. That's right. Waiting to get back to their suburban houses in Long Island. So gross. I After can't believe... a night of clubbing in the city. Ugh, no shoes. Barefoot. Barefoot at Penn Station. Public space. That's how, like, COVID starts. Sure. It's not like they're barefoot <laughs> at the beach. It's not like they're barefoot in a field, a meadow with clovers and alfalfa. It's Penn Station. Yeah, that's right. New York City. Purgatory. Exactly. <laughs> che- chewing gum pockmarked sidewalks. Ugh. And bare pink feet. 
So gross. I don't know. Maybe it's a cultural thing. Well, at my gym, there's people who work out with no shoes on, and I just met someone yesterday who's normal who goes to my gym, and I was like, did you notice that people don't wear shoes at our gym? And he was like, it makes me so angry, and it makes me angry, too, because I'm like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And uh, is there something I don't know about? Does this unlock some secret power? Yeah, more rooted to the ground. I'm know. not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm into you know me. I'm I'm a foot guy. I like looking at I like looking at t- exposed toes. Right. You know. Right. But uh, I also enjoy seeing people in nice, comfortable, orthotic sneakers because I know that their that their feet have been well preserved. <laughs> Don't really like to see heels in public because I know, that just means that you've got freakishly shortened calves, and uh, you're going to get arthritis in your toes. Wow. And that's not a human I want to be with later in life. Yeah. That's amazing. And people will uh, judge somebody who, like, stretches their neck out. Yeah. You know you know those things? In the National stretch? Geographic where they have the, the rings that go around a neck, there's tribes where the women have really long giraffe necks. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then they'll wear heels. Right. What's the difference between uh, elongating your neck that way and and uh, morphing shortening your body your calves. and shortening your calves. Yeah, and, and mangling I, your toes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gross. Gross. Before we go any further, shout-outs to everybody that's been listening to Halal Cartels. Obviously, that's what this show is. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And we've been getting a bunch of reviews, Samir. So I, I wanted it. to just read one, one very quick review. Uh, great! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. From uh, uh, Lil Zeta. And uh, as a non-native English speaker, I find that these guys are a perfect way to learn new expressions, slang, and just practice my English in general. Plus, they are hilarious. Wow. Big fan. Really loving that. Awesome. I love that we're also reaching an international community. Yeah, I was just about to say that. So I've been looking at our analytics and we have people in all types of countries listening and we have people in japan listening hell yeah shout outs to japan shout outs to denmark denmark uh shout outs to mexico uh big list- listenerships in all these places yeah and that's amazing to me yeah man i'm thrilled <laughs> yeah, i love that who knew they're, I get. We got to get the Indian market on here. I know. I don't know why. Why they're not listening yet? <laughs> maybe, maybe it's your glowing review. Of- <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about that. The previous episode actually sparked some some um, uh, review or responses from listeners who yeah. are, I mean, and I love it because there's on both sides of the spectrum. Um, we'll get into that later, but yeah, yeah, this is great. I love the feedback. I love that people are listening from different countries. It's really exciting and uh, love to hear from everyone. Totally. So uh, for this is our call to action. Uh, please leave us a five star rating and a review if you're enjoying what you're listening to. And we love the DMs. I love the texts, uh, uh, all the feedback. Dude, but uh, this week I uh, was, uh, speaking of muddy people, tough mutters, uh, I watched <laughs> Woodstock 99, the documentary. And uh, were you there? Were you at Woodstock 99? I wasn't, but one of my friends was, actually. Oh, hell yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. I was not there, though. Were you, you were not mm-hmm. there, right? No, you? I wasn't there. I didn't get to partake in the uprising. <laughs> 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 at the uh, at the abandoned Air Force base, <laughs> that <had> been... <laughs> the uprising. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> at the uh, uh. Limp Biscuit uh, and Jewel Uprising. <laughs> Jewel. Yeah, I don't know which was responsible for the riots, you know. Who knows? My money's on Joel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was it Alanis Morissette, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, or Corn? <laughs> Dude. Oh, my God. What a lineup. Yeah. I think it was Moby. Moby. Yeah. Mo- <laughs> he was like, that's it. I heard they served meat here once. Yeah. Moby was the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> he was the spark. He got me too. That's what? for another time. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, we got to talk about him later, huh? Yeah, yeah. This documentary was both amazing and I you know I had I had uh, I have some critiques on it as well but I really that it was a, f- a fascinating time capsule for the end of the 90s the end of an era right before the internet really popped off. Yep. Absolutely. It was right before uh, Y2K also. Mhm. <laughs> so. <laughs> um so I did not go to Woodstock 99. I think I was in college and I was laughing at the lineup because I was already too out of out of date in a way for what what was being marketed to uh teens at that time. I think my prime disposable income years for pop culture were like Middle school through sophomore year of high school. Because after that, you know, any disposable money I've got is going to fast food or weed. Yeah. You know, who's buying stuff? Yeah, you're not buying CDs. Like, who has... You need to be so wealthy to still be buying or, like, not have fun other things to do in your life to be buying CDs uh, your senior year of high school. Yeah, and that uh, BMG scam was already over, so you couldn't just get 12 CDs for a penny. Yeah, and or we were making cassettes, you'd, or you'd burn, you'd burn CDs, mm-hmm. or you'd make cassettes. You're not going out to the store and buying stuff. So, like, all these bands were just, like, already not on my radar. You know, I was like, oh, what? What happened? Limp Biscuit started a... <laughs> <laughs> got 100,000 people to burn porta-potties? <laughs> um yeah so that was my problem with the the narrative one the narrative of the movie was that i feel like it blamed the culture uh rather than the bookers oh and the bookers were just like this has nothing to do with us and it's like you were greedy and created such an aggro environment at that place yeah yeah, it's almost like, um, you know, the TV show, the animated show, Super Jail? Oh, yeah. Sure. So just imagining, or maybe whenever I played Sim City, uh, you can play Sim City in a way where you want your city to grow and you want the citizens to be happy. Yeah. You know, like building parks, <laughs> uh, building schools, building factories, building good housing. Or you can play Sim City as. A ben- as a malevolent god. Yeah, I where, would do that all the time. You know, you're, you, you're like, okay, if I just build industrial spaces with no police areas and no parks, uh, I'll create a high crime area, and then I'll just keep having dinosaurs and uh, Godzilla monsters r- roll across <laughs> the cityscape. And then how about an earthquake every 15 minutes? <laughs> 
That's literally what I would do. I would literally build like a nuclear power plant for no reason. <laughs> and then you'd just be like Fukushima constantly. Yeah. Just just keep pressing the earthquake button. <laughs> I love that game. I, I wish yeah. I could play it again. Yeah, that's so brilliant. But you know, that I'm relating how you can be a malevolent god designing in SimCity to how you can be a malevolent uh, event producer to create the worst possible environment. Like these two boomers that set up uh, Woodstock 99, the organizers created a prison yard. Oh, of course. <laughs> and I love how in the documentary, they keep pretending that they didn't see any of this coming. <laughs> you know? They're like, what? We found a beautiful Air Force base. Uh, it was perfect for this thing. Mm -hmm. We made sure that water was out of reach of people, and it was boiling hot. Uh, it was yeah. extremely expensive, so we made sure that... <laughs> <laughs> we created a security force of, uh, of completely untrained, unethical, <laughs> local uh, you know, dudes that like to party with high school kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a bunch of Matthew McConaughey's from uh, Dazed and Confused, wearing yellow shirts and lanyards that said security, being like, "Hey, uh, you mind if I take? I'll take some of this weed from you, and uh, you can come on in." Okay, and then they would take their shirts off and take their lanyards off, and then just join the audience. So uh, it, it was like in Vietnam when uh, Saigon fell, a lot of the uh, Southern Vietnamese um, soldiers would just take off all of their uniforms because they didn't want to be, you know, seen as uh, part of that team anymore. All of these like security dudes just kind of went native and like left left their posts as security <laughs> guys. I love that. <laughs> Oh my god! And uh, join the riots, the uprising, <laughs> <Not> uprising, <laughs> or the pit. They just wanted to be in the pit. Yuck, too. <laughs> Who wanted to be? It's, I can't imagine. It was just nonstop pitting. Look out on the crowd. It's like a mile of pits. Yuck! It's a giant armpit. <laughs> Horrible. Undulating. <laughs> I think one of the best things was uh, coming out of that concert, there were all these photos of the destruction, but there were a series of photos of people covered in what I thought was mud, and they were like, there's yeah. a big mud fight. Mm -hmm. And then you find out in the documentary that it was maybe a little bit mud, but mostly human feces. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a cultural thing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Stinky. <laughs> stinky stinky people stinky people celebrating their stinkiness <laughs> oh, and uh yeah how gross were those uh porta potties uh and right so just infrastructure wise they didn't set up for the number of people and there there's also this idea that oh you know we've learned so much since then when it comes to festival design and it has nothing to do with an evolution in how good we are now at planning it because fire festival was uh the recent version of this thing but at the same time around this time i went to horde festival with uh blues traveler and uh uh lenny kravitz crowd surfing no problems everyone was chill af also the lilith fair festival was happening at the, around this time woodstock 94 happened and none of that nonsense occurred so it's not that 
99 was a stepping stone from which we can learn lessons. It was singularly just bad planning. It's amazing that the movie's narrative just goes like, well, it wasn't uh, actually the bad planning. It was the culture that the (laughs) 1990s brought. Yeah, this is, and this is a a lib point. This is a poptimist point of view. Like, are you familiar with that term, sort of poptimism? No. Okay. Well, I think like pop optimism to me is more of a lib a concept where culture can change society, culture can change politics, culture can transform um, how we live. I think a better way of looking at things is material, <laughs> right? So culture is a product of material conditions. The movie took a poptimist point of view where they were like, the culture changed from 94 to 99. Like, it was much more aggressive white men. And it's like, no, the the organizers of this festival exclusively booked aggressive male acts back to back to back to back to back. So it'd be like us putting on a comedy show and us booking seven white dudes that are like, dude, what's up with cancel culture? You know what I mean? Like, you know what? Sometimes cops are awesome. It's not like the cult at the same time. There's a million comedians that are not that. So we wouldn't have to book that, that type of lineup. But if we did, it's going to create a certain uh, reaction from the crowd. Well, you also left out the fact that it would be like we did that, but on <laughs> top of it, we locked the bathroom. <laughs> no, we first like, we overflowed no the toilets. <laughs> yeah. Then we locked the bathroom door <laughs> yeah. somehow from the inside. <laughs> so underneath the doors crack, uh, just doo-doo water is <laughs> yeah. pouring into the showroom. <laughs> While the guy on stage is like, you know what the biggest problem is? Not Nazis. It's cancel culture. <laughs> You know what it is? Women women saying, you know, women accusing us falsely of sexual misconduct. And what is sexual misconduct anyways? Yeah. Anyway, here's a 10-minute rape joke. (laughs) And then they're like... Well, the floor is just covered (laughs) covered in in shit. And everyone's slipping as they try to get run away. (laughs) And then they're like, fucking mosh. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, it, it is it is singularly the booker's responsibility, the event planners for programming this insane lineup of none and none of these acts. And this, I'm going to defend all of these artists, right? Limp Bizkit was not the problem. They are just one seasoning, right? Okay, yeah. you put a little tapatio in there, that's Limp Bizkit, but then you throw corn in there. Dude, that's some. Uh, those are some ghost peppers. Yeah. Then you put Rage Against the Machine, who I also love. You mm-hmm. know, at least the message, and that is some more chili chili powder. Yeah. It's just hot on top of hot on top of hot. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No cream to cut it. Oh, you had a good uh, <laughs> insight the other day about this after you watched it about uh, how they filmed or how they edited this together, and they were talking right. about. Oh yeah, so um, Girls Gone Wild, uh, they they blame Girls Gone Wild on the sort of sexualization of uh, women in the late '90s, and as though it was a new thing to like sexualize young ladies. Right. It, it, this has just been a timeless. It's been timeless, but now they're blaming Girls Gone Wild, and 
then uh, MTV, which was live streaming the entire thing. So <laughs> it, it's like you can watch the pur- pay-per-view purge. So they they were pay-per-viewing it, and uh, all of the camera operators were also focusing on women's breasts during this. But um, uh, why, oh, why did I bring it up? Because in the documentary itself, they're still showing endless breasts. Yeah. So the documentary Not is saying, that. it's saying, look at how bad it was that we were objectifying women at this time. Uh, and now here in this documentary, let let us titillate you and show you all of these women's breasts again, but from a from a perspective where you're like you're somehow better. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't just like a thirty second montage. Yeah. It was like continual throughout throughout the movie. They were like, and in case you forgot, I was like, you know, you could blur all of these out, if, or just tell us anecdotally. That women were walking <laughs> yeah. around without their shirts on. Yeah. It, not that I'm against. I'm. I, I love. I love to see it. But what I'm more upset, not upset with, but uh, <laughs> laughing at and critiquing is the crocodile tears or the sort of puritanical shaming, the tisk tissing yeah. of like an earlier time. It's so comedic. <laughs> How dare they objectify women and uh, do this? And then it's like. But we are doing it right now as well, so that you watch this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like. I also just generationally, the these out of touch uh, boomers, uh, who were the organizers of the first Woodstock, doing it over and over and over again, and not under a either not understanding contemporary culture, or cynically just trying to capitalize on the biggest names in music at that moment. They're like, why? Why are these young kids like not still part of the same? Have the same esprit de corps or the same uh, vibe? And it's like there were there were cool, chill people still in '99, and they could have made a Woodstock '99 that reflected the same ethos, right? You know, there were uh, definitely bands that they could have booked that had that those audiences as well. Yeah, but it's like you're saying, they were just like, where can we get rap metal? <laughs> <laughs> like you know what the kids today need and love rap metal, <laughs> and uh, I like uh, I I like the fusion of hip hop and uh, rap in the earlier '90s too. Like the Judgment Night soundtrack is one example of a, kind of a, a a fusion, a trying to mash those two things together. Uh, more successfully though, I think like Beastie Boys' "Check Your Head" yeah, as dope. an album. Then their uh, Rage Against the Machine was of course. also successful. And then there's another band, Helmet. Oh, and Faith No More. Faith No More is amazing. Yeah. So you've got these bands that were like kind of fusing this funk and uh, hip-hop with uh, metal or rock. And then their children. It's like, I like the tree. I like the start. I hate the fruit. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, because like uh, Rage Against the Machine's children are corn and Limp Bizkit. Right. It was just misguided. Yeah. Uh, they just took just the parts of what they were doing that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and focused exclusively on that. Oh. <laughs> uh. You know? But then even if you put all three of them uh, together on a stage, Limp Biscuit, Corn, and, uh, and uh, Rage Against the Machine, it feels the lyric that you hear in Rage is, fuck no, I won't do what you tell me. You right. know? So it's like... Uh, it doesn't matter that they had better politics. 
because the energy and aggression and sonic aesthetic is the same. And from an outward level, the organizers didn't understand that concept either. No. They were like, Rage Against the Machine is Limp Bizkit, is Korn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and like a little bit of a funkier version of that, let's throw the Red Hot Chili Peppers on at the end and have them sing Fire. <laughs> As... <laughs> As the as the latrines go up in flames, illuminating the sky. <laughs> Who was it that was trying to burn their guitar and no one was getting it? No one was picking up on Wyclef, the Jimmy. Wy- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. And again, this is pre-internet, so why would anybody know what happened twenty years earlier? Yeah, you know, the pre-internet, we all had to we all had to dig in the crates for our pop culture references, and I think um, pre-internet. A lot of pop culture was gossip and legend and lore and hearsay. Uh, like, I have a smartphone now, and when I visit you, I can say, dude, check out this YouTube video. Or I can just text it to you, and you watch it on your own. Back in the 90s, I had a book bag, and in my book bag, I had a hacky sack. <laughs> I had, uh, th- like, three uh, videos still in Blockbuster cases that were never, ever going back to that Blockbuster store. Yeah, never. And so every new group of people I met, I was like, hey, you want you want to watch uh, Reservoir Dogs? Or do you want to watch The Warriors? Or do you want to watch uh, Natural Born Killers? Because right. those are the three movies that we can watch. Or somebody would show up and they'd say, hey, man, I've got this uh, five-hour VHS tape with 20 Simpsons episodes on it. I've already cut the commercials. That would be sick. Somebody would have that. And that was the limit of your pop culture. That was a, the, my version of that was Mr. Show from HBO. Mm-hmm. Like season one, my friend would videotape it and then let me borrow it because I didn't have cable or HBO. Yeah. And I would carry it around. Totally. And obsess over it and watch it over and over again. Because you couldn't watch things whenever you wanted to. You had to wait till you got to a space where you could watch something. Yeah, you know, or uh, you'd have a book of CDs or oh, yeah. three or four mixtapes that had your favorite songs on them, and then if you were out of batteries, well, God help you. Yeah, batteries. <laughs> you, need to, <laughs> you need to have batteries, man. You need to have like twenty AA batteries on you in your book bag. And you would have that skip proof CD disc, man. Uh huh. That wasn't skip proof at all. So you, you would have to walk so carefully. And avoid it skipping for, for sure with it shockproof yeah yeah not shockproof at all yeah so you know i forgive the kids of the 90s who were at this concert for not knowing all the lore about woodstock 69 because like if they didn't have uh groovy parents that forced them to watch this movie about about that uh concert why would they see it right how would they know that Jimi Hendrix lit his guitar on fire? Sure. Boo. It was cooler the first time, I'll tell you that, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, watching that documentary, I was like, dude, we should never invade other countries. Because this is the level of expertise that our um, ruling generation has when it comes to organizing things. <laughs> I watching this documentary, I was like, oh my God, just in five years, we're going to send assholes like this to go occupy Iraq and try to rebuild it. Like this, those dudes were operating within the Woodstock 99 uh, in Rome, in that town, in the same way that Paul Brennan was operating in the green zone in Iraq. 
Oh, yeah. Just like. Just no plan. Like, <laughs> we'll build it up and figure it out as we go along. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, the press meetings were exactly like press meetings happening uh, at the White House during wars or even now during the pandemic. I love this metaphor because now I'm thinking about what you're saying and it makes complete and total sense. For example, the water at Woodstock 99 was $4 a bottle with inflation and at where we're at currently 22 years later that is like an $8 bottle of water or more. And that's just an individual bottle of water and it's boiling hot outside and people were camping there and they weren't allowed to bring their own water in. Can you imagine how dehydrated people were? But now let's compare that to the war effort. So they hire companies, private companies, yeah, to supply soldiers with food and water, etc. And those companies jack the price up of a meal to like $120 a meal. And the value of that meal is actually like under five dollars. That's right. And Your three Oscar Mayer wieners yeah. are uh, seventy-two dollars and fifty-eight cents. <laughs> That's actually true. And there was a point where that food was getting bombed, and they would still deliver it with shrapnel in the food. Oh yeah. In the meat, and they were spoiled meat. They were delivering, and they're still charging the government for it. And they're overcharging the government for it. Yeah. So you're looking at, uh, well, just the privatization of all of these resources and not giving anybody anything for free. Or it's not even, I'd say, saying giving it away for free is the wrong mindset. Giving people the utilities that they need, the basic universal utilities to have a good time and not create a hellscape. Yeah. So, like, watching the people that, you know, they said, well, we gave them free water. So, people started bathing in the water. Why did they bathe in the water? Because there, weren't, there wasn't enough free water. Or the, where, it was, where it was placed. You know, it was placed in these almost, like, jacuzzi-type tanks. Uh, so, obviously, drunk people are going to hop in those. Unless you have security around them. They could have had different types of spigots. Just considered what the volume of people that are going to show up. Then people couldn't get to these tanks. So they started chipping away at the pipes leading to the spigots. Right. And then that created mud, real mud, not feces mud. Right. But it was indistinguishable from the feces mud. Like people didn't know which puddle they were slipping in. Yeah. And again, that I mean, I was looking at this and I just kept thinking, man, this is what all the United States is going to be like in uh 10 years when the water wars start yeah you know privatized water people are going to be fighting <laughs> for water yeah. and chipping away at the thing yeah and just like the soundtrack to the apocalypse is going to be like old nostalgic people uh like old boomer versions or millennial versions of boomers just listening to corn with they, their ar-15s and like fighting over little oases of water <laughs> I really hope you're wrong. Living stinky boy lives. (laughs) But not willingly at this point. No. (laughs) No. But they'll try to lean into like, yeah, this is a choice. I'm making a choice to be stinky. And they'll they'll hold up Jake Gyllenhaal and these uh, dirty celebrities as sort of like the, as role models to be like, Jake did it. I could be stinky too. He was in Jarhead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Yeah, dude. 
<laughs> so we drink all out. the water you can right now, guys. That's the moral of the story. Yeah, I had fun at going to concerts around this time, though. You know, there was one that was much better than this. I what I feel like actually was a continuation of Woodstock '99 or '69, the uh, Free Tibet concert. Oh yeah, you know, not I don't really care about Tibet, but you know, it was cool that uh, somebody somebody MCA from the Beastie Boys did. And he had, and the lineup for that was uh, so much cooler than this lineup. Yeah, it was massive. Uh, who was on Free Tibet? It was uh, Rage was on Free Tibet, weren't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, KRS One. Um, yeah. The Red Hot Chili Peppers were also on it that year. Tribe Called Quest was on it. Uh, REM was on it the year I went. It was at RFK Stadium in DC. Nice, right outside DC. And it was a two-day event, and the the day that I went, uh, actually, this is kind of like Woodstock '99 apocalyptic. Uh, there was a thunderstorm, and someone in the audience got hit by lightning, and so they stopped the show for a little while, and then a bunch of dudes took their shirt, like were down in the pit area, not in the stadium seating, and it, it, it they just got so bored waiting that they were like running around in circles without their shirts on <laughs> and it was stinky boy vibes <laughs> and then michael stipe came out halfway through and was like hey so the rest of today is canceled uh but you bought these tickets for a charity event so uh you should feel good that you gave money to charity and it was <laughs> like some lib shit like trying to make us feel better uh, that we were not going to see the rest of the show because that, that day was canceled. That was so it. people that bought tickets Whoever for the next day. Whoever got fried by that lightning was probably like public enemy number one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got to look it up. But um, it's like when people get hit by the train and then you see people visibly just on the train like, who the fuck did this? I'm yeah. I'm so upset with you. Yeah, <laughs> for falling into the train track. <laughs> or like, if you have a heart attack on the train, dude. I know, you know. Yeah, thoughts and prayers. But also, you ruined everyone. my commute. Yeah, you ruined everyone's day. <laughs> but they, why can't they just take you off the train and then bring you to the surface? What are they going to operate on you on the train? That's the thing I don't understand. Oh, snap. Here it is. Okay, so Woodstock, D.C., uh, 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 Washington, D.C., lightning strike. Uh, as Herbie Hancock took the stage during the Washington, D.C. concert at about 3 p.m., uh, 1998. So this is one year before Woodstock 99. Um, so the documentary Woodstock 99 is bullshit because it's saying that there was this huge change, cultural change, and yet Here's a concert happening one year before that was all good vibes, right? But as Herbie Hancock took the stage during uh, the concert at 3 p.m., a a storm system formed over the open-air RFK Stadium. While Hancock played, lightning struck a fan. I'm not going to name her. Uh, She was resuscitated on the scene and was transferred the next day to D.C. General Hospital. So she survived, and... um, Ooh, big problem, though, was that she uh, was wearing a underwire bra. So that was, you know, that was What bad. attracted the lightning. Exactly. So, ladies, no underwire bras. I'm not telling you to go to concerts uh, topless. I'm not a Girls Gone Wild perv. 
but just uh, be careful. You could get hit by lightning. Yeah, just be careful. Yeah, dude, I'm just I'm I'm concerned. I'm concerned. Don't wear underwire bras at That's concerts. so crazy that that happened. Imagine if it was like. Fortunately, she has powers like that movie Powder now. Yeah. Remember Powder? <laughs> <laughs> and that was her superhero origin story. <laughs> Literally. Um, but R.E.M. Radiohead and the Red Hot Chili Peppers performed the following day. People got so pissed. I bet. That, Wait, so it was a two-day thing? Yes. Yeah. So if you bought a pass, you'd buy one for you, like the weekend or whatever. You could buy it for just one day, though. Uh, so people that bought just the day pass, they got screwed because... Concert, let's say it starts at noon. Uh, they only get to see music till three. Uh, Herbie Hancock's in the middle of like Watermelon Man or whatever, and then zap. Wow. It's a rap. Yeah. So, um, but I'd say overall, the vibes at that concert, great. And just it existing discredits the Woodstock 99 narrative. 100%. And we need to look that person up and have them as a guest. I'd love to. Yeah, just see how she's living her life today. <laughs> hey, remember the most traumatic moment of your life where you almost died by getting struck by lightning? Um, here's something I was thinking, though, like, was that uh, all of these bands, like, NSYNC, that they were talking about in this show, too. They were like, uh, well, NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys, I think they're considered boy bands. That's yeah. what they're called. I would say there's no distinction between them and Limp Bizkit. Oh, and this corn. is a great theory. They are all boy bands. <laughs> <laughs> they're all just boy bands. So, like, when you see somebody walking around with, like, a, a, they're like, dude, I'm into this band. And it's like, I'm like, oh, you like a boy band. It is a boy you know? band, yeah. Because the only difference is, like, in sync, uh, that music is about attraction. You know, like, uh, girl, I love you or whatever. I'm. It, it's about attraction either being attractive or or being attracted to someone else. Whereas the music of these other boy bands is simply just the other side of the coin, which is rejection. I reject you or I feel rejected. Right. So you, you know, by bifurcating people into these extremes, by having this extreme uh, Noxzema uh, type squeaky clean band, like an NSYNC, you create the Limp Biscuit. Yeah, you need the antithesis. And they, if there's a superhero, that's yeah. an antihero. Yeah. Oh, wow, that is a really, really great theory. I th- I always thought they called them boy bands because they were all twinkish, but now looking back... They're, they're for boys. But they're uh, all boy bands. Yeah. They're all boy bands, you know? And uh, it doesn't mean that any band that's made up of men or guys is a boy band. But if you focus on one of these sort of... Uh, if you haven't embraced your shadow... Or or the ambiguities of of uh, emotion, then you just become a boy band. Screamo is another version of that. Oh yeah. But these are all just the same versions of the same. They're just uh, different sides of the same coin. Right. It's just all about emotion and what yeah. emotion that is. One reducted emotion. And wow. then if you love that one, you probably I don't know. It's gonna create the the other ones. Love to hear a Limp Bizkit and uh, NSYNC mashup. A hundred percent. Actually, never want to hear no, that. Put them. <laughs> what you want to do is you want to put them in the Brundle Fly uh, teleporter machine from uh, David Cronenberg's The Fly. 
So you put both those bands into uh, the teleporter together, and then they come out as one person. And that person has uh, accepted and integrated their shadow in a Jungian way, and you've got a normal, well-adjusted human being. Yes, and then they make SoundCloud rap. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be dope. That's hilarious. Yes, sir. So, Woodstock 99, we... We did it. Oh, and here's something from... Uh, we were talking about Married with Children last week. Oh, yeah. And just one quick anecdote for anybody that follows, because I feel like every single episode, I only say uh, 15% about what I want to do on a topic. Oh, but yeah. Married with Children, um, the original premise for that show was, what if Sam Kinison was married to Roseanne? Shut up. Is that real? That was it. That was the... Is that what you would call a byline? Or a ta Or a, uh, a, like a, a log pitch? line. A log... Yeah, a big old log line. What if Roseanne was married to Sam Kinison? Because at that moment in the mid-80s, they were both um, complaining about marriage. You know, at one from a guy's point of view, one from a lady's point of view. And it was like, let's put them together. So Al Bundy and Peggy were originally supposed to be Sam and Roseanne. That's, where did you find that out? That's amazing. Uh, for, I watched a YouTube documentary by a channel called Jose. So shout-outs to Jose, J-O-S-E, and it's just his YouTube channel, and he does these almost two-hour-long, really extensive uh, YouTube documentaries on different um, sitcoms. That's brilliant. I got to check out Jose. Shout-out, Jose. Yeah. Yeah, man. So so there's that. Uh, (laughs) There was uh, was a little bit of Woodstock 99 energy in the news this week, and it was that, that guy who uh, flipped out on uh, Frontier Airlines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I cannot, I cannot even... You know, it's timeless. The Limp Biscuit energy is timeless, you know? It's almost like that in that Denzel Washington movie, Fallen, where the demon uh, transfers from person to person to person. If you, like, rub against the person. Yeah. If you touch in any way, yeah. So over time, this sort of angry, masculine uh, energy, like sort of lacrosse player, uh, frat rock boy, uh, they continue to just, they're new iterations. And the one that was most recently in the news was the guy who was on a Frontier airplane flipping out on all of the staff, the flight attendants yelling, and uh, then they, like, punched him and duct taped him. <laughs> yeah. The video is amazing, though. It, he's screaming, and he's talking about how his parents' net worth is $2 million. <laughs> he's like, my, do you know how much my father's worth? $2 million. <laughs> <laughs> and then they come tearing down the aisle. Yeah. And they, the main flight attendant guy just punches the guy. And then it just cuts to him getting duct taped to the <laughs> And the thing is, this isn't the first time I've seen that. So a few weeks ago, I think we even talked about this before we recorded an episode, but there was a woman who got duct taped to the seat, and the only video that people had of it was everyone leaving the plane, and someone walked by her, and she was duct taped to her seat, and she was like, help! <laughs> and the plane was empty, and everyone was walking out. Hey! Do you think you could release me, please? Yeah. <laughs> mm, wow. That's funny, dude. So uh, U.S. Marshals should start getting... Oh, my dude, God. Dude, that is a proof that there is no marshal. <laughs> Isn't it? That's yeah. when I saw that. I was like, people are... Right now, there's a spike in uh, aggro behavior on planes. And they say that a lot of it is alcohol-induced. There's an article about this recently. Yeah. So a lot of it is alcohol-induced. But 
a lot of it happens to be like COVID and people having to wear masks because this society is like such garbage that people still put up a fight about wearing masks. This happened on my plane the other day where they had to keep reminding people that it was an offense and that you could be, you know, fined and all this stuff if you didn't wear a mask and you can just be blacklisted from the airline. But anyway, so they're saying that this is, there's an uptick in this. And I'm always like, where are the air marshals in this? Shouldn't they just pop up and be like, don't you fuck around? Yeah, where's Tommy Lee Jones with a taser? <laughs> <laughs> or like now, you know, uh, those humane mousetraps? That are just big squares full of uh, uh, gorilla glue. Yeah, like they should now have just human-sized ones of those. Yeah. <laughs> Step on this thing, sir. Step on this thing. Yeah. My legs are stuck. I know. You're, <laughs> You're gonna sit fucking on this. sit on this. <laughs> and maybe we'll let you out. When we get to Naples, Florida. <laughs> I love that, too. Was it you who said the thing about how anywhere in Florida that has an exotic-sounding name is a shithole? That's right. <laughs> That's dude. so good. Like yeah. Hollywood, Florida? Yeah. Where are you going? Florence, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they love that? They love to pretend. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you Paris. Going? Yeah. <laughs> Florida. Liechtenstein, Florida. <laughs> Vatican City, Tampa. It's just a neighborhood. I love how, back to one quick thing, I love how Rammstein, that band, uh-huh. was also a U.S. Air Force base uh-huh. <laughs> at Rammstein in Germany. It's one of the biggest uh, communities of Americans outside of the country, actually. Oh, Rammstein is the name of an Air Force base? Yeah. Wow. It's in Rammstein, Germany. Oh, fun. And remember that band? Yeah. Du Mitch? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, that's delicious. Well, everybody, uh, I cannot wait to end this episode so I can go check out my um, Woodstock 99 Spotify playlist and get amped up. And don't get fucking duct taped to a seat in an airplane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude, just be chill on the airplanes. Yeah, seriously. What happened to just having a couple drinks and taking into Xanax? But I would watch a reality show about um, U.S. Marshals just uh, on airplanes. I want to know where they are. Just Get- suppressing Karens and uh, these chads. If anyone is listening and works in the airlines, tell us why there are no longer any air marshals and when they decided to pull them so that chads could take over plans. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who my father is? I He has $2 million. <laughs> uh. All right. Uh, hey, everybody. This has been another episode of Halal Cartels. Please rate and review. Subscribe. We also have a Patreon. And, oh, shout-outs to uh, my good friend Elizabeth Haight for making our new um, logo. Hell, yeah. Love the artwork. Please check it out. Also, we are now on Twitter, and uh, you can follow us at Halal Cartels on Twitter. So give us a shout out there and uh, expect to see some cool content and clips and things popping up coming your way on social media. Mm-hmm. So check out uh, all of our social medias. And now uh, to send us out, listen to the groovy sounds of Serene Brown Privilege. <laughs>